Welcome to the Chronically Real Podcast. Real life, real talk. I'm your host, CMT Strong, and I'm here with DO3. What's up, DO3? Nothing much. How about you? I'm doing great. Freshly buzzed head, fresh haircut. 150 views on my Instagram story. Compare that to your workout videos. I get 50 views on that, sometimes 30. I guess they want to see a fresh haircut. Yeah, they want to see a man covered in hair. <laughs> I guess they do. Put inspiring music in there, make some effort. And editing, make sure the camera angle's right. They want to see a selfie, huh? I don't know. I saw that video. You're looking kind of good. Speaking of stories, I got to tell you one about Charlie. He does his business outside, and we trained him. Run to the back to the in the house into the cupboard when he does his deal, right? He unloads, he gets a treat. That's yeah, the deal. It's part of this business. Yeah, he knows that. We conditioned him to do that. Charlie's the name of our dog. And so I go out there, he's unloading, and I have the bag ready, and I go to pick up his load, and I just face plant on the floor. Oh my I God. I eat pavement because, you know, we have uh, inherited peripheral neuropathy, which affects the extremities. And so we don't have very good balance. And sometimes you eat the pavement. And this was one of those times. And then Charlie's unloading right there, right? So I go to pick it up. And instead of Charlie investigating his masters being hurt, like he normally does when I face plant in the house, he just goes five feet in front of me and my face is on the ground and I have a full view of him. And he unloads a second time. <laughs> twice. Oh He's like, yeah, pick this one up while you're at it. Yeah. <laughs> He's literally full of it. Instead of coming to see what's wrong with me, I'm crawling over to find something to help, you know, because my upper body's pretty strong. And I'm trying to find somewhere to, to lift me up so I can get up off the ground. So I do that. I pick up the load. He's sitting there with his tongue hanging out, wagging his tail, doing laps around the house like he does because he's expecting his treat for unloading outside. We've conditioned him. He's right here when we're recording this podcast. He's looking at us. We conditioned him to do that. That's our fault. We trained him to do that. So he does that, right? And speaking of conditioning, I was on Instagram. It's one of my favorite social media platforms. And I was going through the chronic illness hashtags. And I came across the individual. I, I wish I would have recorded the name because I, I record names or I note names that I want to follow up with him later. And she used an expression called learned helplessness. And she said, as a chronic illness community, we need to be aware of that phenomenon. I never heard that expression before. So I was on one. And I looked it up, Googled it, and it said, it's a condition in which a person suffers from a sense of powerlessness arising from a traumatic event or persistent failure to succeed. It is thought to be one of the underlying causes of depression. Then there's a definition on psychology today. It said learned helplessness occurs when an individual continuously faces a negative, uncontrollable situation and stops trying to change their circumstances, even when they have the ability to do so. So even if they keep hitting wall after wall after wall, they just kind of just kind of stay at the bottom of the wall. They don't think they could potentially jump over it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. The wall's there. They know it's there. And they begin to believe they can never, ever get over that wall. So something like a maze that they're trying to get through. Mm-hmm. And they don't have any hope. Oh, man. I got these definitions because I'm trying to see how this applies to chronic illness and how this fits in to having a chronic illness. So I'm doing research and research and I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to grasp 
what this means. I started listening for, to other podcasts, Googling it, doing some research, uh, scholarly articles, and I came across an individual named Dr. Paul Meyer, and he said this, if you take a big jar and put dirt, leaves, and things in the bottom of it and get a bunch of grasshoppers, and if you put them in the jar, they'll jump out of the jar. But if you put them in the jar, put a lid on it, punch some holes in it so they can breathe, put some water in there, give them some food, they'll try to jump out, but they'll hit their head on the, on the lid of the jar. And they'll try that for a day or two, but after a few days, you can take the lid off and they'll spend the rest of their lives in there. So if I heard that correctly, they have everything they need at the bottom of it, but they still try to escape. Mm-hmm. But after they start failing, after a few days, they just kind of go, eh. Yeah, they give up. They learn helplessness. Oh, man. Even when the lid's off, they won't jump out because they've been conditioned to believe that they'll hit their head again. So do you think that could potentially affect future generations of grasshoppers? I don't know how long they live. Well, I guess that would depend if the lid was on or not. If they had offspring in there, they laid some eggs. And naturally, the grasshopper is going to jump because that's what they do. Oh, okay. If the infant grasshopper hits its head, I'm thinking it will learn helplessness. But if the lid is off and the offspring are born in there, I don't know, maybe they will jump off. Yeah, maybe it's just their instinct. And we see that in society, don't we? We see a lot of individuals who are victims, uh, people who don't try, people who give up. But then you have that individual that pushes through no matter what. And so I think that if the lid was off, those grasshoppers would escape. And that brings me to another point. We're talking about infants. There was another example that I discovered on Learn Helplessness, documented elephants in captivity. When a baby elephants are first brought into captivity, they are tethered to the ground with a strong rope. Although they repeatedly pull at the rope, they are unsuccessful in getting away. As the elephant grows and becomes stronger, He could easily pull the rope from the ground. However, he has been conditioned to believe that he can't escape. So even when the elephant does get older and obviously a lot bigger and stronger, it still believes it can't do that. Yeah, even though it has the power to change its situation. That's unbelievable. I think elephants are responsible for a lot of fatalities for humans. Mm, Interesting. I wouldn't doubt it. Dr. Meyer gave this illustration of the grasshopper. We have this documented evidence of elephants in captivity. Does this happen to people? It's definitely possible if they're conditioned enough. Exactly. So I found accounts, news stories of individuals who were interviewed because they were kidnapped. And so what I found as they were sharing their stories, notice what one person said. Even when the doors were unlocked, I never tried to run. Can you believe that? And then another interview here. Something always held me back. It was like I still had those handcuffs on. So that reminds me of the grasshoppers when they had the lid. That was something stopping mm-hmm. them, so they gave up. And with the elephant, it's a rope, so mm-hmm. they now believe that they can't do it. It's the exact same thing with humans. If they've been held long enough, they don't believe they can get out. No, because they've been dehumanized. They've been conditioned. They've been abused. Who knows? Maybe they've been raped or something. Just like this person, they believe those handcuffs were still on them and there was no hope. And I start to investigate this on social media and notice what this individual said. My brain and body is shutting down rapidly fast. I'm having difficulties breathing, overwhelming anxiety. I pass out. My energy is gone. The fight I have is gone. That's really sad to hear about that. 
And then she goes, my doctor tells me what I already know. This is my life for many years to come until I get help and learn to live with this if I ever do. I'm trying to be open-minded and positive at this moment. It's hard. Live or die. I don't know. So the thing that really catches my attention is like if she ever does learn how to live with it. Because I've only really known that I've had this neuropathy for the last few years. And it's always been difficult. But you know, I don't know. Maybe it's personal. For mm. me, I found it a bit easier mm-hmm. with just health and exercise. Mm-hmm. I found the same too. There's other examples. There's this website I came across, Classroom Champions, talking about this learned helplessness in classrooms. Many children, especially those with disabilities, here's when it was all coming together for me. Many children, especially those with disabilities, struggle to meet expectations across a variety of different domains, such as home, school, social situations. They develop a sense that they shouldn't even try since they have not been successful before. So when you bring that up, that also reminds me of a post I ran across. This older sister let her little sister try to paint a designs on her shoes because the little sister wanted to be an artist. And when she got back, the mother had told the little sister that it wasn't good enough and it was bad. You should never have done that. Mm. Well, the older sister actually absolutely loved them. But I think the most heartbreaking part was that the little sister wrote a note saying how sorry she was that she didn't do good enough. Mm. She didn't let me do it. Mm-hmm. And then so now that child probably thinks, why should I even try again if I'm going to get this kind of heat for doing something? Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, okay. And keep in mind, individuals that listen to this podcast, we're not doctors. We're not licensed in anything. We're unqualified. This is just two guys talking about what we see. Real talk. Yeah. Their opinions. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We read books and Google stuff. This is not a prescription or recommendation. This is just us calling it like we see it. Okay. Real talk. So how do we address situations like this? Is when a child is struggling with someone, something or someplace, whatever it is, I feel like you need to stop and listen to that child. Because how are you going to discover what that child really needs if you're not listening to the child? Yeah, I've also ran a few or seen a few articles online saying that families have designed a system. They all get together and they say, so are we listening or are we fixing? Which are two different things. Sometimes you just need an event. Other times you actually need a solution. And then you discover what the problem is. Now you're fixing the right problem. Yeah. Instead of just jumping the gun. Yeah, sometimes you just need a vent. Mm -hmm. And here's something that I feel very strongly about. If there's a problem, society has said things like you need to validate the child's feeling. And there's a time for place in that. I'm not saying that that's not important. If you do listen, you figure out what the problem is. If the child has an attitude, I can't. They just want to quit. To me, I, I wouldn't validate that. I wouldn't give any validity to that. I would acknowledge that there's a problem and say, okay, how do I help my child change their thinking? Teach them how to win differently. Yeah, Be- I yeah. definitely remember those conversations and it's definitely uh, helped me to view things differently. And if you don't know, DO3 is my offspring. Come up with solutions together. There's always a solution to a problem. When I was raising my kids, I always always acknowledged that there was an issue, but I never accepted that quitting attitude, that I can't attitude. It was unacceptable. There's one experience where we were taking the carpet out of our house. Remember that? Yes. Yes, I do. The kids were younger. They didn't know any better. Well, I mean, what you did was kind of out of left field. Let's just be honest. Yeah. (laughs) 
I'll tell you what I did. As we were looking at it, and the kids are staring at the issue here, okay? There's carpet under the pool table. How are we going to lift that pool table up and take the carpet off from under the pool table? They really thought that it was an impossible feat, that this thing couldn't be accomplished. So I went outside in the backyard. I got these two large bricks, and I got the car jacked from my car. And I jacked that pool table up, and what did I do? Took the carpet off. But come on. I mean, <laughs> it's a giant pool table. It's not exactly like it was sturdy. Well, kids that look at that, it's huge. It's a big pool table. It's heavy. I can't even move the thing. And I was pretty buff then. So come up with solutions together. And I remember uh, Dr. Paul Meyer, when I was researching this learned helplessness, he also said that when he was younger, his brother used to hit him in the arm 10 times every time he said, I can't. I wouldn't recommend that. I mean... Maybe siblings have a different code. I know my siblings and I had a, a code that parents didn't teach us. We just had this honor thing between us. Whatever you decide to do, I don't think you should validate quitting attitudes or attitudes of I can't. Acknowledge there's a problem and find a different way to win. And that's how I see it. Let's go to another thing I want to start doing on this show. Memes. I love memes, especially with chronic illness. I find that the more truth in it, the funnier they are. This meme I found, this individual in the chronic illness hashtag on Instagram, it had this guy in a car, he's got his hand up on the wheel, and he's staring at you like you're stupid. Have you had an instance where somebody looked at you like you were stupid? We all know what it looks like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Caption says, late for your doctor's appointment, 15 minutes, they cancel it. Show up for your doctor's appointment, you're waiting for an hour. That's absolutely ridiculous. Oh Isn't it? And it's true. Some wait times in doctor's offices are ridiculous. And when you have a chronic illness, sometimes you have to go to the doctors over and over again. And you're dealing with appointments and it's such an interruption to your life. Yeah, I mean, like that 15 minutes isn't really a big deal. Sometimes it takes us 15 minutes or longer to get out of bed. On the flip side, though, the patient should call the doctor's office yeah, if they're running right. late. I'll give the doctor that. If you're a physician, please try to understand your patient has a chronic illness and it may have taken them a long time and a lot of effort just to get out of bed. So don't pull stuff like that. That's ridiculous. Try to communicate. Maybe you can, if you understand your patient and you have a relationship with them, which I certainly hope you do, call them. Have your front staff call them. Say, hey, why don't you give so-and-so a call just to check up, see what's up. They're running late. And I'm not saying that's an excuse for the patient. The patient should also do their part and call the doctor's office if they're running late. It's only the right thing to do. Yeah, it's all two-sided. Okay, that's that. And then we have weird facts. This is DO3 part. He's, he has weird facts for us. What, what weird fact do you got for us today? So on my adventures through the internet, I figured out, or well, I didn't figure it out, obviously, but apparently the reason why paintings or sculptures in ancient Greece uh -huh. had smaller penises is because <laughs> that was considered extremely intelligent and cultured. Uh, but mm. on the flip side, if it was a rather large one, it was considered uncultured and uh, barbaric. Barbaric? Uh, you were a barbarian yeah, if you had a large animal. penis? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And then okay. uh, there was even another definition. They were... Bigger uh, penises were considered gross and comical, and small penises were considered godsent. 
Isn't it the opposite today? Yeah. Yeah. And then it even goes further. The sculptors try to capture the essence of a man and not his state of horniness. <laughs> I mean, so that's why they all have that unique style. You know, and it was culturally acceptable to show your junk in public, right? You know, you go to the baths, public baths. Can you imagine if they had Instagram today and they started posting pictures of themselves and they'd probably be jumping in a tub of cold water just to make their <laughs> junk look smaller and say, hey, look, I'm more intelligent than you are. <laughs> I'm, more, today. I'm more sophisticated than you are. My yes. junk's smaller than your junk. <laughs> What a crazy concept. How oh, that all changed. Yeah. Anyway, that's our show for today. If you like the show, please copy the link and share it. Share the show and send us an email at chronicallyreal at gmail.com. Hit me up on my social media, CMT Strong. Hope you enjoyed the show and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>